The Wicked Smart Sports Guys is brought to you by CellMaxBatteries.com, the go-to website for all your battery needs. CellMax Batteries carries a full line of super heavy-duty ultra-alkaline lithium and button cell batteries. CellMax Batteries compares in quality to well-known national brands, and the best part? CellMax Batteries are priced much lower than their competitors. Flashlights, remote controls, game controls, headphones, digital cameras, hearing aids, smoke alarms, whatever device you need a battery for, Cellmax is the best batteries at the best price for your device. You can order a 24-pack of AA or AAA heavy-duty batteries for only $5.99 or a 24-pack of Ultra Alkaline, ideal for all kinds of gaming and high-tech devices, at just $12.99. Order today and use coupon code BOSTON, that's coupon code BOSTON all over case, and save 20% off your entire order. Once again, that's coupon code BOSTON at checkout and say big today. Semixbatteries.com, C-E-L-L-M-A-X batteries.com, the official sponsor of the Wicked Smart Sports Guys. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Wicked Smart Sports Guys podcast. Thanks as always to Dolly Dreams for the intro music. This week, we're talking about Gordon Hayward opting out the breaking news from today, and we're doing that with founder of Bannertown USA and co-host of the From the Raptors podcast, which I had the pleasure of being on not too long ago, Jack Simone. Jack, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to talk about Gordon Hayward. Yeah, well, I'm not. I'm not excited <laughs> for it because it, it's, it's not something I wanted to see happen, but we'll get into that. Uh, first, I want to start with this. Gordon Hayward, of course, well, just to reiterate the news, decides today that the Celtics originally pushed back this deadline. It was supposed to originally be Tuesday at 5. They implored the NBA to push this back, and the NBA agreed to Thursday at 5 p.m. We all presumed that would be to work out a trade so Gordon didn't have to you know, opt out or opt, he, he could put it off the decision until it could potentially work out a trade. No trade happened in the meantime, so you have to imagine something fell apart there. But that's just the outline. What was your immediate reaction when you saw he opted out around 5 o'clock today? Well, I got a lot of messages. My grandma actually messaged me. She she texted me. She was, how can you turn down $38 million? And I was like, Nana, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just as confused as you are on that front. But the, the way I see it, the only reason he turned down that much money is if something was in the works, because obviously you'd rather have the long-term stability. I mean, he has a family, he's getting older, so uh, this is likely his last bigger payday. So I'm assuming that the Celtics have either a plan to bring him back or a plan to trade him somewhere that will give him that long-term stability. But if if not, then I'm just baffled. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. And the takeaway I have, that there's one possibility that you didn't throw in there which is that he just didn't like it here that much, which on the surface of it seems a little strong, but I think there's a chance that Gordon was really unhappy with the role he was having. And Gordon came here, I've said this many times, but Gordon came here with his sights on being an all-star, a perennial all-star in the Eastern Conference on a really good team. He was coming to a team that just came off an Eastern Conference Finals appearance. He was coming off of losing to the Warriors in the second round, being the best player on that Utah Jazz team by far, an all-star appearance. And the idea coming to Boston was you're in a bigger market, you're in a easier conference to make the all-star game in, you're going to be a superstar. That's what Gordon Hayward came here to do. And the injury happened and the Jays came along and those things ended up not materializing. And it's nobody's fault that this thing went south like they did, but... The fact is, it just Gordon Hayward's role wasn't there for him when he came back, and 
Gordon Hayward wasn't the same player when he came back. So both sides had a reason to not necessarily, you know, or, or both sides had, you know, some reason that things didn't work out the way they did. It's like I said, it's nobody's fault. He got injured and things happened. But the fact is that Gordon didn't embody the role he wanted to have. So there's a chance now that Gordon Hayward looks at it and says, I want to go somewhere where I can do what the things that I came to Boston to do, be in a big market, be an all-star. And he also came to Boston to win, but if winning was important, I don't think he would have opted out. If winning was the number one factor in this decision, he probably would have opted in. I think those other two are bigger factors right now. And I hate to say this, I don't think Gordon is going to do this, but if you want to be in a big market and you want to be the guy, apparently New York's interested. So, you know, if those two factors are what the biggest factors in Gordon Hayward's free agency decision, it seems like he has a landing spot. No, yeah, and that just sounds like a very weird fit to me. I mean, R.J. Barrett, Obi Toppin, Mitchell Robinson, that young core itself sounds great. I, I suppose you could plug Hayward in as a mentor role, but um, going back on your point that he came to Boston to be an all-star, it, it's weird to think back on this, but he came to Boston to form a quote-unquote big three, in theory, with Isaiah Thomas and Al Horford. So thinking about the team now, that sounds kind of ridiculous that that would be a big three. But at the time, if you think about it, Isaiah Thomas was coming off of a couple all-star seasons and MVP candidacy. A top five, yeah, a top five MVP finish. Yeah, I mean, he was one of the best players in the league. Gordon Hayward was an all-star in Utah. That team would have done amazing together. Obviously, Boston made the trade to get Kyrie Irving, and while it left a sour taste in our mouths, it it was a good deal at the time to make, I I will admit. I mean, as much as I loved Isaiah Kyrie. Yeah, and I will say people have brought Mm -hmm. that up, but the Kyrie deal from that standpoint, it didn't change much, right? Like you're still playing, the idea still pretty much remained the same. You're still playing with that all-star point guard. And if anything, it, it got Jay Crowder out of the way too, who was maybe, you know, we don't need to get into this part, but didn't like Gordon <laughs> Hayward so much from all accounts. But but either way, the general point there is that the, the idea was still the same. It just instead of Isaiah, it was Kyrie you were playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like to think Danny had some idea. Like Danny's not stupid, obviously. It's Danny Ainge. He had to have known that Isaiah's knees... Uh, his injuries were catching up to him a little bit and obviously he was correct although Isaiah is healthy now he should come back to Boston that's um, my train I'd love to see him back in green but but yeah I mean if Gordon wants to be an all-star I think he would have the best chance of doing that in New York something that's not being said I don't know if they have the space or the flexibility but I mean if he wants to play in a big market he could just go play with Kyrie again right still Mm -hmm. New York uh well (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I will say you got me thinking when Danny might have known something. Maybe Gordon knew something when he was signing here because you saw the way he smiled at Kyrie at that introductory press conference. They had the look at each other. They smiled. It was like maybe they knew something was going on too. But yeah, I don't. The Nets. I don't. I can't see it happening. I don't know that he wants to play with Kyrie that much. And even if he did, I'm trying to think. I mean. I guess it might make a little bit of sense. Would he be the third option over Karis LeVert? Maybe, but are you also potentially running into another situation where here's another young, talented guy that's going to take my job eventually? Like, I mean, I know you're trying to take Karis LeVert's job, but I guess that could make sense from a big three, but I don't think they have the roster flexibility to do it. I mean, I, I think this was pretty much the worst case scenario for the Celtics, was Gordon Hayward opting out. I think a lot of people wanted... 
that trade to happen, the Miles Turner trade, Drew Holiday was also rumored, but I think more, more people wanted the Miles Turner trade. And I think one important thing to remember here is that Gordon Hayward, I mean, a lot of people are, are ripping Danny Ainge, you know, that he should have made a deal. And Gordon Hayward basically had a no trade clause, like not, not in, you know, the exact terms, but what I'm saying is he had the player option. So he had to agree to whatever trade the Celtics were going to make or else he would just say, mm, you know, I don't know. I don't like that team. I'm opting out. So he could do that with any team the Celtics were going to trade him to. So let's say, I know I just said, maybe he wants to go to the Knicks. I'm just like throwing that out there out of nowhere. Maybe he doesn't. Let's say he didn't. Let's say the Celtics had a trade worked out with the Knicks. If Gordon was like, no, I don't want to go play for the Knicks, then there's nothing the Celtics could do. If he just had a list of one or two teams that he would have said, yeah, I'll opt in for that team, then the Celtics' hands are kind of tied and you can't really get on them too much for not making a trade because their options were likely limited. Like people brought up to the Andre Drummond stuff, right? Like, and I'm not a fan of Andre Drummond, but let's just play it out. The Celtics saw they should have traded Gordon Hayward to Cleveland for Andre Drummond. Do you think Gordon Hayward is going to opt in to go play for the Cavaliers? Like, No, no that, I don't think that trade was ever a possibility. Like, Gordon Hayward would have to agree to this. And I, I think that part is kind of getting overlooked here. No, yeah. Unless the Celtics had moved him uh, before the deadline for Andre Drummond, which uh, I'm with you. I don't think that would be a smart move. I don't think Drummond would be great and green. I used to think it, but the more I've, you know, thought about it it just it, i don't think it would fit but no you're completely right it's essentially a no trade clause i really thought the hawks trade that had some backing on draft night that was going to go through i was excited about that um i thought that would have been a solid deal for the celtics they get a kung Wu or whoever they chose to take at six i think would have been a solid fit off the bench uh they make their pick at 14 they trade hayward and maybe a couple other picks to move up or they get deadman back or made, made it work somehow but I guess, like you said, he probably didn't want to play in Atlanta. I don't think he would have been an all-star in Atlanta. I think Collins and Trey Young would have been options above him. Um, and with a team like New York or even Indiana, I think he would have potential to be an all-star. Indiana doesn't have any amazing pieces. They have Warren. They have Sabonis. They have Brogdon. But you can't tell me Hayward wouldn't be contention for the best player on that team. Yeah, or at least, the very least, the top score, right? Like Sabonis was an all-star mm-hmm. this past season. You know, and, and he's going to mostly play with five, but he doesn't. He's not a guy that doesn't command a lot of shots. Like if you look at that roster, yeah. T.J. Warren is the only other guy. It, assuming Victor Oladipo is out of the picture, who that, that's a whole situation <laughs> yeah. Indiana needs to sort out for themselves. But let's just assume he's out of the picture because it sounds like things are deteriorating there. If it's just Gordon Hayward and T.J. Warren, and those are the only two guys really fighting for the number one role, then you can. If you're Gordon Hayward, you can average twenty one points in Indiana. So. That it does still make a lot of sense, but Indiana doesn't have the cap space to sign him outright. And this is what confuses me the most. Like, I'm with you. If you really, I get the idea that he could get long, more long term money, and that's fine. And you could, I'm, he will, he will get more long term money than he had left on this deal. But mm-hmm. don't you think next offseason more teams are going to have cap space? More teams are going to be willing to spend because, I don't know, we won't be in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> okay. And, <laughs> You know, you'll you'll have had that year of thirty-four million, and you could probably go out, and I would assume get the same deal you're going to get now. I think Gordon Hayward's not the deal he's going to get this year shouldn't be any different than the deal he's going to get next year. If there's one reason I can point to and say that makes sense, that must be why he opted out. It's because he's been a guy 
who has suffered a catastrophic injury in his career. And if there's one thing that could keep him from making more long-term money from getting the deal that we that I'm assuming he could get a year later that he's opting out for now, it would be another injury. A guy that has been kind of injury prone here. So if you're Gordon Hayward, is the calculation not what can I get this year versus next year? And do I want this 34 million now? Is it I might get injured again and I want to secure in as, as much long-term money as I can. And if that's the reason, I can't really knock him all that much for it because of just what he's been through. Yeah, I mean, he's been through so much and the, the Boston fans have not treated him kindly. And I've always just hated that because he's given up so much for Boston. He chose to play here. My my co-host uh, from the Raptors, Sam, always says, these guys choose to play here and you guys are going to, you know, drag them in the mud because they got hurt one too many times. That's just, it, it's it's horrible. But the, the other reason I feel like he could opt out is if there is something brewing. Because if there's something brewing to a team that he wants to play for with the sign and trade, because he could sign with a team like the Knicks or the Hawks, but his his options are limited that way with a sign and trade he can go to a team maybe for over the cap and so like they can match it instead of having to sign him with just cap space so that's the other thing i could seek if there's some sort of deal in place where he could go to a team he wants to play for but it's not possible for them to sign him on the open market i don't know why i'm even going to bring this up because it's not going to happen <laughs> but like if i could pick where gordon haywood was going to go and it wasn't the celtics and i think the team i would like like to kind of like to see him on sneaky is like the Phoenix Suns, mm-hmm. like get him in there with Chris Paul and uh, Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. He can maybe be the second option on that team, depending on how things shake out. Like Chris Paul's the facilitator. DeAndre Ayton maybe doesn't develop as much as people are expecting or, you know, and, and Hayward kind of takes over that second option role next to Booker. I, it's not going to happen, but that's a team that like, I think he fits really well on. And if he went there, they're like a legitimate championship threat. So that's a team that sticks out to me, like just as a fun beat. But I'm just throwing that out. The teams that can sign him outright. I'm just going to list these off for you real quick. The Hawks and the Knicks, we've mentioned. Mm-hmm. They're about, depending on what you think he's really going to get, there are about six or seven other teams that could sign him outright. The Pistons, which we haven't heard a lot about, I, I don't know that that's a real possibility. But um, again, these are just the teams with cap space. So the Pistons, the Kings, I don't know about those. The Pelicans, who may maybe not that interested based on the Drew Holiday uh, negotiations, how those went. Maybe they don't love Gordon Hayward because if they did really think he was that good, may, they probably would have just you know dealt uh, Holiday for him. But yeah. then again, maybe they would have. Maybe they think they can just sign him in free agency. So I don't know. Pelicans, I suppose, are still a possibility. The Hornets, I doubt it. Although. If they find a way to get Westbrook without compromising their cap space too much, I think, and I've said this about the Knicks as well, a Westbrook-Hayward duo is interesting to me. But the Hornets, I mean, they only have $20 million. I don't think they could get Westbrook and Hayward. Uh, I think that, well, if they signed Hayward first and then made the Westbrook deal, like they signed Hayward mm-hmm. with cap space and then found a way to make the Westbrook deal, it's tough. It, I, I guess they'd have to give up like Cody Zeller and... I don't know if Houston wants these pieces like a, a Batum. Batum's a huge contract. Oh, Batum too. Yeah, I mean that would make some sense. And we're getting off on tangent right now, mm-hmm. but I'm, it's fun and doing <laughs> it anyway. Is this is why it would make sense? Because Batum, I think he has one year left, right? I don't know if you know that for sure, but I'm pretty sure he has. One I year. believe so. Yeah, one year. One year. So I don't think Westbrook is worth a first on the surface of it. I don't think he's worth a first round pick. 
even a protected one. And I think most people think that. However, if you're also dumping Batum, and you can dump Batum and get Westbrook, I think that's worth the first. So if you go Batum and Zeller and a first for Westbrook, maybe a protected first probably, and then side Hayward, that's okay. I don't know. But it, I don't think this is happening, this Hornets thing again. But we're just going <laughs> to there. You know, you never know with the NBA offseason. I mean, you got to get some people for LaMelo Ball to play with, right? So uh, just toss that one out there as well. Uh, the Miami Heat, tough for me to... I, I know that he had these links to the Heat in his first free agency go round, but it's just tough for me to imagine the Heat are going to compromise their cap space when Giannis is still a year away, unless they know for sure Giannis is signing that Supermax extension with Milwaukee, which he might do. I would say I'm more uh, inclined to think he's going to do that today than I was before they made the Drew Holiday trade and kind of sacrifice their future to the extent they did like that. If, if you still think there's even a chance he's leaving and you sacrifice your future like that, that is like NBA malpractice. Like you should be thrown <laughs> out of the country if you do that. Like it's it's ridiculous. You should be relegated to the Kings uh, if you're actually going to make compromise your draft picks like that when you don't have a secure commitment from Giannis. So that's crazy. Um, but anyway, mm-hmm. still, if you're Miami, I feel like with, with Giannis just hanging around, you cannot make that deal uh, for, for Hayward and then use your cap space if you still think there's a chance you get Giannis. And then the Raptors have 17 million and they that's not really enough. And they have some players they probably want to resign with Van Fleet and uh, Serge Ibaka. And I don't know if they're going to be able to do that or if they're going to want to do that or how that's going to work out. But that's a team we'll just throw out there. Because the Raptors, I think the Raptors make some sense with Hayward, especially they haven't really filled that Leonard void, Kawhi Leonard void. So if they bring in Hayward to be their three next to Siakam and Lowry, that does make some sense. He he fits the timeline of that team pretty well, actually. So just another team to watch for, I guess. But those are the those are the teams: the Raptors, the Heat, the Hornets, the Pelicans, the Kings, the Pistons, the Knicks, the Hawks. Just I've I've talked a lot about these teams. Give me your top three out of those as far as just pure fits for Hayward. Not where you want to see him go, not as it relates to the Celtics, but if you're Gordon Hayward, what is your top three? Huh. If I'm Hayward and And you have to sign with one of those yeah. teams. So go through them again. So you said the Knicks, the Hawks, the Pistons, the, Hawks. the Kings, the Pelicans, All right. the Hornets, the Heat, and the Raptors. So there's only two out west. Alright. Am I assuming that Hayward wants to be the guy or do you think he just doesn't like boston because i feel like the answers are different for both perspectives you're assuming that you and gordon hayward are in the movie freaky friday and you just switch bodies with him <laughs> but the celtics don't want you like danny Ainge just said he doesn't even want you and he said really something really offensive to you so now you have to sign with one of these teams all right in that case i think miami would be the clear-cut favorite although i don't think miami would do it because of the honest possibility next season but I mean, Hayward almost signed with Miami just like at the beginning of this contract. So the fact that they've progressed without him have Jimmy Butler now and they just made the NBA finals. Why wouldn't he go there? He would be instantly on another high level championship contending team. He'd give them even more playmaking, even more shooting, and he'd fit into that starting lineup perfectly. They'd be able to run uh, probably Kendrick Nunn or Dragic, Tyler Hero, Gordon Hayward, Jimmy Butler at the three and four. It'd be a stretch stretch four and then bam out of bio and that lineup sounds disgusting with the bench they have so i'd say miami would be up there if he wants to be the guy i think in new york would be solid for him 
I think he could teach RJ a lot because I, I think RJ and Gordon Hayward very low key are similar players with the 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 ball handling and the passing ability they both possess. Obviously, RJ's much younger and has much more. But I agree. I think that's a good take. I think mm-hmm. they're very similar. Yeah, he, and obviously, I think RJ has the potential to be a multi-time All Star. I haven't lost hope in him just because he had a poor first season. I mean, the, the coaching situation in New York was kind of a mess his rookie season, and there, there's a lot of stuff going on there. But <laughs> we won't get into that. I think Gordon Hayward could teach him really well. And as for the last one. I think the Kings would be really good for Gordon Hayward. I think the oh, Kings have been looking to make the playoffs for a long, long time. I think, it, 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 like you said, they have the space. De'Aaron Fox, um, Buddy Heald, I guess, if he ends up staying there. Gordon Hayward, Marvin Bagley, and they just picked up Tyrese Halliburton to run with De'Aaron Fox if Buddy Heald does leave. So I think that would be really good and give De'Aaron Fox another weapon. And vice versa for Gordon Hayward. So I'd say Knicks or Heat, Knicks, Kings in that order, with the Kings being the sleeky, uh, sneaky little sleeper there. So that's interesting. I think the Hawks, like, I really am high. I'm high on the Hawks. And I think, mm-hmm. like, I was high on them last season. Didn't work out. But I really think that team has a really good chance to make the playoffs. And if they have Gordon Hayward, like, they definitely should. If you have Trey Young, Hayward, Doug yeah. Collins, Clint Capella, like, that should be a playoff team 100%. So. That's interesting, but like you said, are you the third option on that team behind John Collins, and how does that all work out? It, that's that's tough as well. The Heat, the Heat are interesting, and you're right. He could be the second scoring option on that team. He might be able to be the first scoring option on that team. We saw in the playoffs, mm-hmm. Jimmy Butler had a tendency to, you know, allow his teammates to kind of shine while he does the dirty work, so to speak, and he doesn't take as many field goal attempts. Gordon Hayward could be a top option, at the very least, on that team. It would probably be Butler, Hayward, and Hero would take most of the shots. I think, for now, Hayward would remain ahead of Hero in the pecking order, but I guess we'll, we'll see on that. Yeah. That's maybe why, if you're Miami, maybe you don't do it, because you already have so many wings, first of all. But second of all, like you have two young ones in, in Duncan Robinson and, and Tyler Hero. Do you really need Gordon mm-hmm. Hayward? Like that, That's an interesting question, but for Hayward, it's, it's the appeal is obvious. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- those are all really interesting options, I suppose. I, I think I also want I, I, we've talked enough about Hayward's Hayward's options here. I don't I don't I don't know how to wrap this up, but we're gonna move on back to the Celtics because I do want to talk about what this means for them and what this means in relation to their draft because they just take Aaron Naismith, who I don't know that I'm banking on him playing a major role in year one, but I think I talked with you about this. Really, I don't not a major role. I mean, I can see him fulfilling a bench role, but like the Celtics have a tendency to not play rookies that much. Grant Williams being the exception last season, and of course, Jason Tatum. But like you look at some of these other guys like Romeo Langford, Terry Rozier, Jalen Brown, those previous two being good examples of guys that didn't play a lot in year one and then had an uptick in minutes in year two and actually were effective players. So I don't, I think this is like a Brad Stevens kind of the, just the way he does things that he might, even if a guy is talented, he might not put him on the floor in year one because he needs the games not there mentally for him yet. And I think that might be a thing with Romeo Langford too. And maybe he sparks in year two. I don't have a lot of faith in Romeo Langford, but you know, I, I guess there's still, I guess he's, there's still promise there. But my general point is I think the Celtics, for the most part, they don't play rookies a lot. I could see him maybe having a minor bench role if he is knocking down his shots, 
But we said that about Carson Edwards, and look how that turned out. So, you know, they, they, I don't necessarily think that he's going to play a major role. But I also think there's every chance that he could be a really, really good basketball player. Like, we've seen players mm-hmm. taking this range before where people are like, this guy's a really good shooter. And they end up being really good shooters in the NBA, so good that they're star players. Like, you look at Devin Booker, Clay Thompson, these were guys that were taken, like, in the 11 to 15 range. And they were guys that people said, hey, yeah, these guys are really good shooters. But for whatever reason, they had their knocks against them. And I think maybe Naismith has a chance to be a guy like that. I don't want to go so far. You know who I kind of likened him to when I watched him play? And he might be a little more athletic than this guy. But he kind of reminds me of TJ Warren in some ways. TJ Warren's three-point shot Mm. wasn't as polished when he came out of college. But... Just in terms of the body type, the perhaps the, the lack of athleticism, like it, Naismith has some, I hate to say this, but some sneaky athleticism. Like he, he made some athletic plays, but he's not the most athletic guy out there. He's not the best ball handler out yeah. there, but he can. he's just a bucket getter. And that's what TJ Warren reminded me of when he came out, like a bucket getter. And TJ Warren, when he came out, I saw a little bit of Paul Pierce in his game. I don't necessarily see that with Naismith as much because Naismith doesn't work in the mid-range as much as Warren did. And, and that was Pierce's thing, of course, but... I see some I see some of the traits that we've seen in Warren and Body in the NBA in Naismith. And I think at the very least, I project Naismith. And this is why I've heard people talk about the fact that Landry Shamit moved and some people wanted that move. I think at the very least, Naismith gives you, you know, I, I'm not going to compare the two players because I don't think they're all that comparable. But I think at the very least, Naismith gives you the same value just about maybe a little bit short. But like his floor to me, is just short of where Landry Shamit is right now. His ceiling, I think, is much, much higher. And I, I really do think there's a chance that in a few years, and I think it's better than the chance that Romeo Langford is this guy, I think there's a chance in, in uh, a few years he's the the third piece to your big three. I, I think I think he has that kind of potential. And I th- this is what I've always mm-hmm. said about the 14th pick, that it doesn't have no value. People act like the you know, 14th pick is, is you know, no man's land, the wastelands or something. But... Like the guys I just mentioned, Kawhi Leonard, Giannis, Paul George, these guys go in that range, like the late lottery to the, you know, 15. You can Mm -hmm. get really good players in that range. And looking at Naismith, like I have some real faith he could be a guy like that. No, yeah, I really, uh, I do like Naismith or Neesmith. I don't know how you say it, but um, it's crazy because I I had a floor uh, average and a ceiling for Neesmith in mind when you brought him up and Landry Shamit was that floor. So it's wild that you brought that name up. It's like you're reading my mind. Um, (laughs) He can give, he's a bucket from three. He's an absolute bucket and people can have their doubts because he shot poorly his freshman year and then had his season cut short. But 52% on eight attempts a night in 14 games is ridiculous. Like that's absurd, even at the collegiate level. So, I'm counting on that there. I think average, I think he can be a slightly more versatile Duncan Robinson. I like that comparison. Um, Mm. I I think, I don't know if he can be as elite of a shooter as Duncan Robinson is because I think Duncan Robinson is probably the third best shooter in the league behind Stephen Clay when they're healthy. Uh, Completely unfortunate about Clay, by the way. That was heartbreaking to to see. But, um, and then at his peak this is i don't know if this is a hot take but at his very 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 peak i think he can get close to a poor man's devin booker which it's a weird comparison but i i see i see that as uh aaron yeah i think 
I like the Buddy Heald comparisons because mm-hmm. only because when I watch him navigate screens, I see Buddy Heald in college. Like when I watched Buddy Heald play in college, <laughs> he was so, so good at coming off the screens. It was Reggie Miller-esque. And Naismith has that same ability to move off the screens. And that's why I like your Duncan Robinson comparison because it's the same thing with Duncan Robinson. He's so good at that as well. And that that's the trait that I really like about him the most. And you're right. I looked up this stat in SEC history, which... I don't know if you've heard, the SEC is a pretty good conference uh, in all college sports. But mm-hmm. in SEC history, I think minimum like 100 three-point attempts in a season. He has the second highest three-point percentage ever in that conference, which is just it, that, to, just to show you how insane that is. And I think he got injured too. Like he, he didn't even finish the full season, but he still got to the minimum number of attempts uh, required for, for the, to meet that kind of you know criteria. But it is just ridiculous. I don't know exactly, like, you know, the, the Shamit thing is tough for me only because, it, you know, they're kind of, di- they're still really different positions. Like, I think Naismith is 6'7", which I know you said Naismith, Naismith. I wanted to try to make, I was trying to make some sort of joke about James Naismith last night, but I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, you know, fit it, like, telling him the founder of basketball <laughs> or something. Like, I couldn't really figure out what the, what the joke to be made there was. There definitely is one, and there's, like, some merchandise to be made there, but... Uh, I can't think of it. Even though their their names are, it's like AI versus E. Uh, there's a little difference there, but whatever. Who cares? Um, yeah. It's close enough. <laughs> um, I'm just going to keep on Naismith, but if someone could correct me. But I, yeah, Shamit, just because the, the height difference is too big there, it's 6'4 versus 6'7. So I, I, I don't love like, and even the Buddy Heel thing too, like Buddy Heel 6'5, it's a little closer, but that's why yeah. I think like, like you said, Neesmith can be a little more versatile. Now I'm saying Neesmith, I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> but he can be a little bit more versatile. Like I've seen, the clubs of him, like he's, you know, defensively he's not a total sieve, and he can do some things. I, I don't have a lot of faith in him in year one, but I really do. I love the fit with him next to the Jays, and it is specifically. I don't know if I've talked to you about this, but it is the idea of him not needing the ball. Like if we're talking about yeah. that two-three-four fit, and this is our four is a lot different than it was back then. But it was Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, right? And Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett needed the ball. And uh, Ray Allen didn't. Ray Allen could stand in the corner. He could come off screens. He could just be the catch-and-shoot guy. And you need that guy that doesn't need that use rate. And the Cavaliers tried to do that with Kevin Love, but it really limited what Kevin Love was. The good thing about Ray mm-hmm. Allen and the good thing presumably about Naismith is they're guys that thrive in that role. They really don't need the ball. Yeah. And it's like the, the Clay Thompson thing, right? Like the reason Clay stepped and... Uh, KD worked is because Clay could be the guy that didn't need the ball. Like you need that guy in your big three to really make it work and really make it special. So Tatum's your four, Jalen's your three, and Naismith's your two. In uh, presumably in the future, again, I'm not saying this season. And I I really like the way that those guys project to work, and that's why I have so much faith in these three guys moving forward. I I just need to see it on the court first, and again, I don't know that we're going to see it in year one. I think we will see some flashes. Even with Jalen, who wasn't great in year, year one, you did see those flashes of like athleticism. With Neesmith, it's going to need to be, you know, a game, just these games where he hits three three-pointers in a game. He goes three for three or three for four. And you're like, this guy should be getting more minutes. And Brad's just not giving them to him. And so it's going to need to be those kind of just little tiny moments you look for that maybe project you or, or uh, maybe point to a brighter future. Because I don't think we're gonna get there in year one of him all of a sudden being, you know, the all-star level player. Even Jason Tatum wasn't that right away. He was, you know, 15, 14 points a game. 
So I, I don't think this is going to happen right away, but I, I see some, I have some serious hope for this kind of, you know, potential. I hate saying this now. I'm just going to sound like such an idiot, but potential big three of the future. Mm-hmm. I like how it fits. No. Yeah. I, I like Naismith. And the reason I, I personally think he could have a decent role uh, in his rookie season in Boston, because they don't have a guy who his entire role is to stand and shoot threes exactly and i know naismith is a little bit more versatile than that and i know brown is great at that but brown has the ability to do so much more kemba has the ability to do so much more so does tatum so does smart even as much as you don't love his shot selection as at times smart can handle the ball well and pass if naismith can adapt to the point where he can just sit in the corner or sit on the wing shoot threes run the plays like duncan robinson does in miami he will average two threes a game maybe if, if brad gives him the minutes at the very least and i think down the line he has the potential to be taking the amount of threes he did in college like taking eight threes a game or something ridiculous and making a good like clip of those so i, I think he has the potential to have a big role his rookie season and i'd look out for it yeah and i don't know that he's going to be a star i'm just saying that i like how it works if he is one i like the general mm-hmm. outlook of the fit there that's all i'm saying but you're right. If he's just a catch-and-shoot guy off the bench, then that's perfect because they've needed that for so long. Like, you look at the guys they've had coming off the bench in years before when, when the idea was that they had too many mouths to feed, feed. It was Marcus Morris and Terry Rozier. What do those two guys have in common? They both want to ISO. They both want the ball in their hands all the time. That's the problem with those guys. Is like Marcus Morris could be a pretty good catch-and-shoot player if he embraced that role. He doesn't want to do that. He really wants the ball and he wants to dance. That's what Marcus Morris wants to do. Uh, and so they haven't had that player off the bench who it's just like, you just space the floor for these guys. And I've been crying for that for so long. Like, that's what <laughs> they need. They just, they need someone that can score off the bench, but they don't need, like, and I, I even though I kind of want this guy this offseason for different reasons, they don't need, like, a Lou Williams type. They don't need a Jamal Crawford type. Mm-hmm. They don't need another guy who needs the ball in his hands. They just need a guy who you can kick it out to and who can get a bucket. And that's what I love about Naismith, too, is like, even if he doesn't turn into that star and he can be that guy, perfect, because they need that, too. And this kind of goes back to a more, more broad point about their draft and people upset that they're even making these picks in the first place, is Danny still needs to build this team as if, and people aren't going to like this, but as if he's planning to compete five years down the road rather than now because that's when Tatum's real window for winning championships opens up. It's five years from now. So Neesmith might not be ready to be that guy right away that you need him to be, but in two or three years, like he will be, and you'll have that guy around. You'll have that core, and he could be one of the best shooters off the bench in the league, at at worst, I think. I mean, if you're talking about a guy who's just 52% in college, so if he can shoot you know, 44% in the NBA, you're talking about an elite, elite threat off the bench. And oh, yeah. you would love to have that guy on the end of his rookie deal in a real championship run, like in the fourth year of his rookie deal, making, you know, $3 million, $4 million, whatever it's going to be. So I feel like people distract themselves from the value of that. They want the instant gratification. They think the Celtics should be making moves to win now. But I stress this over and over, mm-hmm. like you shouldn't be sacrificing the future for that. People complain all the time oh, they didn't make a move for Jimmy Butler. They didn't make a move for Paul George, whatever. Let's look at those moves for a second. For Jimmy Butler, you would have had to give up Jalen. You would have had to have given up Jalen Brown. For Jimmy Butler, yeah. Minnesota gave up 
Zach Levine. Zach Levine, look, he's averaging a lot of points. But I think most people would tell you, like, I don't think Minnesota regrets trading Zach Levine. I think if you're the Celtics, Mm -hmm. you would probably regret trading Jalen Brown. Like, people want these moves to happen, and it's just like, if you trade Jason Tatum, you're going to regret it. If you trade Jalen Brown, you're going to regret it. I don't think Minnesota regrets that move so much. Oklahoma City, like at this point, do they really regret trading Oladipo and Sabonis? Like Oklahoma City has a shooting guard that they definitely regret trading, but I don't think it's Victor Oladipo. I just, I don't think that's that's the guy they regret moving. Like if you're the Celtics even, look at the moves they did make. Do you think they regret trading? Let's just say, I know it was a pick at the time, but let's just put a name to it. Do you think they regret trading Colin Sexton and, and Isaiah Thomas and Jay Crowder? Like, no, those, those guys, you, you and I, the pick, there weren't even a lot of guys in that range that were that great. So I, I just, I don't think the Celtics regret making that move. But these other guys, like people are like, you got to take that risk and you got to, you know, make these moves. You got to, you know, lose a trade. So people are saying, hey, you sometimes you got to lose a trade. No, you don't. Like, I don't know why you want the Celtics to make a bad trade. Like just, just so they can, or just, so I, I don't understand it at all. I don't understand that kind of, that side of the argument. No. Yeah. I, I completely agree. Um, a lot of people talk about the two timelines or I, I bring it up constantly and Sam gets mad at me, but it's Hayward and Kemba currently. And then the rest of the team, and that's fine. You don't need to worry about the two timelines. As long as you acknowledge they exist, you can't, I always like to say, this is my thing when it comes to Philadelphia Instead of trusting the process, they quite literally rushed the process. Why would you want to do the same thing in Boston? Because you see how it turned out there. And then also, Aaron Aaron Neesmith, a, a comparison I thought of, is a, a rich man's Doug McDermott. And I thought the height worked, and I, I thought that was a good comparison. So I, I wanted to you know, throw throw that take in here, too. That's, that's not a bad one, either. I will say that's not a bad one, either. But you're, you're right. And, and the, you know, the guys that went behind Colin Sexton, by the way, in that draft, I just want to put it out, Kevin Knox and Miles Bridges, like, that pick was really not that value, or Mike Alberts. That Kevin it really Knox. wasn't that that great. Um, in in retrospect, and, you know, and you know, you would have liked to have the eighth pick. Maybe you could have got Shy there because Shy won a pick later. Could you got Shy in that range? I don't know. I don't know who Danny would have liked. But at the end of the day, I don't think you're really losing too much sleep over that trade. And that that's the point of this. You know, you I, you shouldn't want to make a bad trade. You should. If Danny, you know, says we're not going to make a bad trade, I don't know why people are so adverse to that statement. You really shouldn't be. Um, but I want to wrap things up with with going back to Hayward for a second. How do you think the rotation looks? Because it sounded like you were a little bit, you know, you had a little bit of pushback when I said I don't think Naismith's going to play a major role in year one. So just with what we see from the roster right now, which there's going to be a few moves here, but let's let's just let's keep it to wings and guards because I think those are pretty much set in stone. Maybe they make a move for someone like Christian Wood. But how do you see? them filling the void of Hayward right now that's see that's a tough one I think a a lot of people expect Marcus Smart to start and I think he'll start the year in Mm -hmm. that starting role in place of Hayward assuming Hayward is gone I I don't think that's where Smart plays best though I think Smart is very clearly a sixth man um, and when he starts is when you see some of these issues with his decision making because when he's leading the offense off the bench He's not getting these shooting opportunities because he has the ball in his hands and he's facilitating and that's where he shines. So ideally, I think if you can get it to the point 
where you can play Grant Williams at the four and shift Tatum back down to the three. That'd be great. I think that'd be a great idea. Or if Neesmith develops his shot and NBA awareness enough to where he can slide into that three uh, in the starting role and not even necessarily play starting minutes, just start. So Marcus Smart can kind of come off the bench um, in that role that he thrives in. I think that would be ideal. And then as for the bench, I think you're going to see Romeo get a lot more minutes. And I think realistically... Pritchard could slide in ahead of Carson Edwards, which I don't think people are talking about because I didn't know who Peyton Pritchard was when he was drafted, so I had to do my research. The guy can ball. He came out of Oregon in a situation similar to Carson Edwards, but the big difference is Carson Edwards was mainly a sharpshooter, and he's he's really on the shorter side. He's under six foot, which is fine. We've seen success with under six foot guards in Boston plenty of times, but when you have a guy like Carson who's so used to having the ball in his hands and taking those big shots, it's one thing. With Pritchard, I feel like you have a more aware guy of his role. He's just ready to put his head down and work. And not that Carson's not, but with the size and the craftiness that Pritchard has of scoring the ball, I think he could see a, a decent role at the very least in his second season. I think he could get some spot minutes this year, which a lot of people probably won't expect. But... I do see him having a solid role in Boston, but I think the bench will mainly compose itself of Neesmith and Romeo Langford. And then I, I hope smart. I hope smart. But I think Grant Williams could get some starts at the four with Tatum at the three, uh, or it's going to be Langford or Neesmith or smart, which wouldn't be my choice. But um, that's how I see it working out. Yeah, I think it'll be smart. I think they're fine with doing that. I know a lot of people love the six-man thing, but again, like I've said this before, you can stagger minutes. You can have whatever lineups you want mm-hmm. out there. It's just about the starting five, which is going to be on the floor for five minutes. And then from there, you can do whatever you want. And I, I get the idea of like uh, starting the game with that scoring punch and then bringing in smart for some extra energy. I just, I, I don't, I think the, the, at the end of the day, they're just going to start their five best players and smart's going to be included in that. Um, I will say, I think, I think you're onto something with the Grant thing. I think that I, they obviously really liked Grant in his rookie year. Like I said, you, you don't see rookies play that much typically. Like, really, the only rookie that played more than him in the Brad Stevens era, the only two, I guess, probably like Marcus Smart and Jason Tatum. So he mm-hmm. played a lot for a rookie. So I think you're onto something there. I think they really do like him. I think that, and I just said I like Neesmith better. So keep this in mind. I think there's a chance. Romeo plays more minutes than Naismith this year just because the rookie yeah. thing. I think there's a real thing with the rookie thing that Brad Stevens doesn't like to play rookies too much just because they, they don't understand the NBA yet. And I think with how limited they're going to have, the limited time they're going to have to really acclimate here, guess what? Your first NBA game is in less than a month. Like, that's that's a tough turnaround. So I, I think with the lack of time you have to acclimate, it's, it's Naismith is, is going to have a tough time even beating out Romeo Langford. But I do agree with the with the Partridge thing only because he does the little things that Edwards doesn't. Edwards in college, they, they were both a top scoring option in college. But the difference is Edwards was purely a bucket getter. He was purely a scorer exactly. in college. Uh, Pritchard did those little things too. And he, he made those little plays that you're going to be looking to get out of a backup point guard. He's already used to doing those things. In many ways, yes, he was a star, but he played like a role player. And that's kind of what you're going to be hoping to get out of that back of point guard. So I, I do think it's going to be a good competition between those two guys in camp at the very least. And we'll see how that shakes out if they don't bring on bring in another point guard. Because if they don't, then it's going to be one of those guys. And we'll see kind of who emerges. And I'm fine with either of those guys, honestly. I 
I think mm-hmm. it's, it's better than Brad Wanamaker. I would like them to do something else, sure. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm content with it being one of those guys over Brad Wanamaker. I'm glad that they, they decided. It, but from what it looks like to move on from Brad because they, they didn't extend the yeah. qualifying offer to him today. Let's just wrap things up. What is your overall takeaway from Gordon Hayward's time here? Because I think I went off on my tangent about you know, that I think people kind of, you know, underrated him and then it wasn't his fault how things went and, you know, people went into mm-hmm. that. And I'll even add that I think that we're, we're going to see now some of those people that don't like the Celtics too much. I think we're going to see all of a sudden them saying, wow, you know what? Gordon Hayward's a massive loss for the Celtics after hearing for so long Gordon <laughs> Hayward was a nothing piece. I think it, I'm telling you, they're going to come out now, those. I don't want to name names, but I'm not, I'm really I'm not going to name names. But those Nick Wrights of the world, you know, they're going to come out and they're going to say, <laughs> they're going to say, you know, oh the Celtics they lost a huge piece in Hayward after years and months of saying Gordon Hayward was a nothing piece, he was no good, and that's just what's going to happen. And I hate that because for me, I know Gordon Hayward's good. I know it's a huge loss, and I think the Celtics they could really, really be hurt by this, like a lot. And I know that he wasn't always on the court, so they didn't always have him and they were able to find some success. But you're talking about a guy that averaged 17 a game on 50% shooting. You're not going to get, I'm, t- you're, I'm telling you right now, you are not going to find another fourth option like that. Maybe in franchise history, you're never going to get a guy mm-hmm. scoring that much with that kind of efficiency as your fourth guy. It's it's just, it's so rare in the NBA. You never see that. So I personally, I do think it is a huge loss. I just don't want to hear from the people that were telling me how bad Gordon Hayward is for so long. But- oh yeah. I will go to my grave with the statement that this past year of Gordon Hayward was just as good as Utah Gordon Hayward. He just wasn't the first option. I, I, will, I will stand by that statement until the day I die. Every statistical category was like minuscule difference except for points which was down i think seven which seems like a lot but when you consider that there's three guys very clearly ahead of him in the scoring like totem pole like that's not that bad so i i will go to my grave saying this was a better or not better but an equal version of gordon hayward uh than uh utah because i think while the athleticism and the bounce and the aggressiveness might not be at that point the iq the playmaking is all there. It was actually only 4.4 points lower than it was in Utah. Even better. <laughs> so I, I want, don't hurt your so, own argument there. I mean, you know, that was a good take. You know, it really was. Yeah. You got to make sure uh, you don't do too bad. But, but even so, I mean, there are some stats here that really, really help your argument. Gordon Hayward, mm-hmm. he averaged a career high in rebounds per game. This was his second best season in assists per game. And it was even better than that last year in Utah. That last year in Utah... He only averaged 3.5. He averaged 4.1 last season. Like these numbers, they and now defensively it wasn't good. Defensively was was not as good. You know, averaged, <laughs> averaged a few more blocks per game. wasn't anywhere close to a career high. But it, yeah. but those offensive numbers and the rebounding numbers, they are really really good. Not to mention the field goal percentage and all that stuff. I mean that that he had a really really good season and and it's going to be a big loss. I just don't want Nick Wright to be the one to tell me that. Um, but uh, <laughs> all right, uh, Jack, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And, uh, just, I know just so behind the scenes stuff, this, the scheduling of this podcast has been pretty crazy. So Jack, thank you for making the time <laughs> and coming on the show to talk about Gordon Hayward dropping out for us and we'll see what happens. Last thing before you go, any wish list for the off season? Oh man. 
I really like their draft. Pritchard is going to come in with the same maturity as Grant Williams did and have a similar impact, and that's my hot take to end the show. But um, I like Austin Rivers. I saw he opted out with Houston. I really like Austin Rivers. Uh, I, I don't know if that's a thing. And then shout out to my co-host Sam because he really wants to bring in Rondo or Baines, and I wouldn't complain about that either. So I'd say that's my very short uh, quote-unquote wish list for the offseason. All right, guys. Well, thank you guys for listening as well. You can follow Jack on Twitter. I'm going to have to look this up now. I usually have this on hand, but I forgot to look this up. You can follow Jack on Twitter at JackSimoneNBA. And check out Bannertown USA and from the Raptors. Check out all that stuff as well after you finish listening to this. Um, check out me on Twitter at ByKDDoff. Follow the pod on Twitter at SmartPod. Check out everything over at Guy Boston Sports. Some great stuff over there in the last few days, including my draft grades. You're going to want to see that. That was a good one. Um, so check, be sure to check that out. And once again, guys, thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>